Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. The past few years especially has affected and impact all of us. We felt alone, we felt trapped, isolated at times, We've lost loved ones. Funerals, funerals were different. Hospital visits were next to impossible. Things changed. Everything has been different. Especially for those of us who are human beings like we all are. We've all experienced sorrows and griefs. It's been a difficult season for us. And one of the questions that I've reflected on has been this, what What in Jesus' teachings could possibly make any of that any better? Like, what what could have possibly, what could he have said that, that would bring comfort or hope to those of us who've experienced grief? You know, when some of his dearest friends lost their brother, Jesus really didn't say too much. You know what he did? He came and he wept. He cried with them. How many of you know that sometimes it's not so much what we say, it's we're just actually present with people. We're there. We show up. We put an arm around somebody and we cry with them. It's the ministry of presence sometimes that's so healing to individuals who are dealing with grief and sorrow. You know, it's the briefest commentary that often brings the greatest comfort. The shortest verse in the Bible, let me show it to you. It's in John chapter 11. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You know, I wonder if God decided to make that the shortest verse in the Bible because grief is such a lasting emotion. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Grief has visited your life at least once or twice. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about sorrow. For many of you, you know that I lost my brother six and a half years ago to a drug overdose in my parents' basement. He was 45 years old. His name was Bill. I don't know if you ever really get over it. There's not a week that goes by that in some way, shape, or form, Bill doesn't come to my mind. It can be in the smallest, just random ways. But I think of my brother. And I'm sure you grieve. I'm sure that the things in your life that bring you sorrow. Because here's what I know about grief. Grief is universal. Grief knows no boundaries. It's translated in all languages. It stops at the door of every continent. All ethnicities experience grief. All experience grief. And so when we grieve and when we cry, here's what I think about. This question, have have you ever wondered, here's a question I was posing myself this week. Have you ever wondered what does Jesus say to your tears? Like, what does Jesus say to our tears? 
Did you know that the Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrow? Man of sorrow who experienced our sorrows. He's in touch with grief. That's why I believe Jesus says a couple things to our tears. The first is this. Jesus says, I see them. I see them. Listen to what this verse from the New Living Translation says. It says this. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. That's a beautiful description, isn't it, friends? That Jesus would collect all of our tears in his bottle. Why? He collects them because he cares about them. In fact, that's the second thing he would say. He would say, I care about your tears. I care about them. See, Jesus is close to those who are grieving, those who are crying, those who, who are in sorrow. The Bible says this in Psalm 147, that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Did you know that scientists have done extensive research on tears? In fact, they would categorize them in one of three ways. Three different categories that tears would fall under. The first is this, it's called the, the basal tears. The basal tears are tears that lubricate our eyes, just like oil to an engine, so tears that we create in our eyes. They create proteins and antibacterial lubricant for our eyes to be refreshed so that we can see so that the eyes don't dry out. A second category of tears are known as reflexive tears. Have you ever gotten something in your eye, like a contact slips out, or you get, you get like an eyelash, and you do one of these, like you, you're like, everybody's like, you all right? You're like, I, I just got, I got something in my eye. And then, you know, like, hey, can you look? And you're like, then they get all close to you, and you're like, oh, that's a little, you, right? You're in my space, your breath smells bad, right? <laughs> those are tears, reflexive tears. You don't really control those tears. They actually just wash out an irritant, whether it's like smoke from a campfire or something like that. It just, it, it really washes it out. But the third category of tears is really eye-opening. And here's why, because of all of God's created beings, human beings are the only ones who can shed these tears. No other creature can shed this third category of tears is called emotional tears. Everybody say emotional tears. Emotional tears are in response to intense grief. It's the loss of a, of a parent, a child. It's the loss of a, a job. It's watching your kids who are lonely. You transferred, you relocated once again, and now they're alone. They have no friends. It's a brand new environment and you feel guilty. You cry tears for them. It's in response to maybe a spouse of 40 years who died to COVID and you prayed, you believed, you had faith and yet they died. It's those kinds of tears that are so emotional. In fact, have you ever heard the term that when you cry, you, it's like a good cry? Have you ever heard that? Well, that's actually scientific. It's a good cry because those emotional tears have cortisol and, and other hormones that we actually release some of the stress when we have a good cry. And it's only human beings that cry these tears. And since Jesus was fully human and since Jesus gets us, Jesus cried 
He cried emotional tears. See, the Bible gives us a window into weeping. If you have a Bible, go with me to John chapter 11. I want to take you to a story. One of Jesus's most famous miracles is found in John chapter 11. Let's begin by reading verse one. Here's what the text tells us. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now let's just pause there for a second and let me give you kind of the setting in the scene. Bethany was a small town outside of where Jesus predominantly did much of his ministry. And so Lazarus's house really served as a respite. He would go and he would rest there and he would kind of kick back and relax. And here's what you need to know about Lazarus. He had two sisters, first Martha. Martha, Martha was an amazing cook, okay? She was just an incredible, she had the gift of hospitality. Martha, listen, Martha made the best brats your mouth ever chewed on. Okay, Martha, she didn't use that kind of like that little fake, uh, you know, French's mustard. No, no, no. She got that grainy mustard, that real, that one that would hit you in the back of the throat. And Martha knew that the bun mattered. So, so Martha just didn't get any old buns. Martha would go to Sheboygan and get the hard rolls. You know what I'm talking about? Because the bun matters. And, and, and I love Sheboygan. In fact, sometimes I love referencing Sheboygan because have you ever said this? Sheboygan. You ever say, I love that, Sheboygan. Sometimes when I think of Sheboygan, I'll say Sheboygan. And, and, and my girls are like, Dad, you're so weird. And I'm like, I love it, Sheboygan. Unlike Shyocton, I like Sheboygan. So, okay, if, if you've been with me, I have a, a, a little thing against Shyocton. I don't know why, I just, I feel like everybody has a shotgun in Shyocton. But in Sheboygan, I, I feel like in Sheboygan, they just, you know, they have, you know, the buns, the hard rolls for great brats. And Martha knew this. So Martha would, you know, she would dial up Amazon and Beso would get that delivered to her, all right? Mary, on the other hand, was just a phenomenal listener. Mary would just love to sit at Jesus' feet and she would say, why don't you just retell that story again? I'd love to hear that miracle again. Please, Jesus. Just... And Lazarus, Lazarus was one of his best buds. They would go hang out. They would talk. Um, Lazarus was one of his closest friends. And so... When we come to chapter 11, though, Lazarus is sick. In fact, verse three says this, the sisters sent word to Jesus. Notice what they say. They don't call him by his name. They say, the one that you love, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And so when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, pause there for a second. If you heard, if you heard Jesus respond to your brother who just died, and said, this sickness will not end in death, how would you, what would you be thinking? You'd probably be thinking, fantastic. This is awesome. Like Jesus is coming. Lazarus isn't going to die. Martha, get the house ready. Get the Nesco out. We got to get brats moving. And Mary's sitting there and she's like, I can't wait. We're going to get to see a miracle. This is going to be phenomenal. I can't, this is, oh my word. And Jesus sends the response back. It's not going to end in death. God's going to get glory. The son, I'm going to get glory. Everybody's going to, is going to be, this is going to be amazing, right? Wrong. Wrong. At least wrong in the moment. Because look at what verse six says. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more 
days. Really, Jesus? You loved him that much that you stayed where you were two more days? What's up with that? Why would you do that? I thought this was the one that you loved and you got the message and you said it wasn't gonna end in death and you, you missed the funeral, you missed the graveside, you missed the funeral dinner, the meal, you missed it all, Jesus. It was two days. Like, what were you thinking? Now, let me just pause here and say this because I believe this is a great commentary for us who are trying to follow Jesus in our day and age. There are many people who will stop following Jesus because they can't get him to do what they want. And so they give up on following Jesus because, listen, while Jesus gets you, and that's the series that we are in, he gets me, he gets us. Listen, it doesn't mean that you can make him do what you want on your timetable and schedule and in the midst of how you think it should play out. He just doesn't show up and perform divine miracles when you want him. He's independent of who you are. He calls the shots. Jesus is not your life hack. He is called to be your Lord and Savior. He doesn't follow us, friends. We follow him. But I'm so glad that we follow a savior that gets our grief. I'm so glad that we know a Jesus who understands who we are. Because when eventually Jesus decided to come to Bethany, And scripture tells us in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And you know, I can imagine that she was frustrated and irritated and she probably had a couple things to say to Jesus and yet Jesus, he showed up and he said, it's okay. It's okay, Martha, we're gonna go back, we're gonna see Mary, we're gonna talk this through, we're gonna grieve together, we're gonna cry together. I imagine that he went back to their house and maybe Lazarus had his chair there where he would like to sit and they just sat and they cried and it was emotional and they listened and what happened? What what were some of the symptoms? When did he pass? Did you get to say your final goodbyes? What was it like? Tell me. He was locked in in that moment. He talked about the funeral and the arrangements and it just, it was... I can imagine a beautiful picture. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when you are grieving? Do you have anybody that meets you when you go out and you share your deepest sorrows, your losses, your disappointments, your hurts, and your pains? Who do you talk to? Who listens to you? Like truly listens. They don't try to fix you. They're not trying to just pacify you or gloss over the hurt and pain, but they get you. Who is that for you? You know, we have a ministry here at Pathways Church called Stephen Ministry. And I want you to listen to a story from a guy named Jim. Jim's not a part of our congregation, but he was a recipient of the care and the grace and the listening ear of a Stephen minister. So take a look. It's been almost exactly 10 years since my wife hurt herself on the job first time, which led to uh, a whole bunch of things. 
Kay's situation has gone from oops to uh-oh to oh my God to holy. And it's still there. I mean, she still can't walk from the original surgery. She's wheelchair bound, doesn't get out very much, is on dialysis now because her kidneys failed. And I've been the guy who's been there all that time. And I was just putting so much pressure on myself. And so finally, one of the guys, a good buddy, called me at home and he said, we are going to get you a Stephen Minister. He knew all that story. And he said, we're going to get you a Stephen Minister. And I said, well, it's time. It's time. My Stephen Minister is just a little bit older than I. And sometimes when, when we're together, I, I have to say even to him, you know, we're just like two old farts sitting around drinking coffee on a Wednesday morning. It's just so easy to be with him. He, he's just so tuned in to what I'm doing that he knows the right questions. He never suggests anything. He's not there to, he's not there to tell me what to do. He's there to get me to talk to myself until I discover what is necessary. And I can tell him anything. He listens to anything. He listens to the good stuff. He listens to the bad stuff. And he's also very happy about the successes that I've had along the way. I can't wait to tell him about some things. So it's, it's been a lot of pressure. But my Stephen Minister has just walked me through it, talked me through it, questioned me through it. And I'm surviving very nicely. I'm, I'm grateful to uh, Trinity for caring enough, the people that were caring enough to literally put a Stephen minister in my back pocket because I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for that. So I, I give thanks every day. In fact, my, my connection with the church now is I, I don't go to worship to take, I go to give. I, I have gotten so much from the church, so much through the, my Stephen minister, that I go to give it all back, or give us back as much of it as I possibly can every Sunday morning. This, this relationship with the Stephen minister is about you and God and, and getting you through the next period. But I'm very proud to say I have a Stephen minister. If you're under anything like the pressure that I was under then, wouldn't you like to be where I am now? You can, you can get there if you take on a Stephen minister. But you can't have the one that I have. Wouldn't you just love to have Jim as a grandpa? All right. Well, maybe you need to hear what Jim's friends said to him. We're going to get you a Stephen minister. And so if you would like to meet one of our Stephen ministers, you can go out to connect at the end of service today. And Roxanne and, and Jessica and Lonnie will be there. These uh, Stephen ministers, I think we have about eight or nine of them. They went through extensive training, about 20 weeks uh, that they had uh, done training and preparation. Yeah, I know. They're committed to this. And so the one thing I love about Stephen ministry they would tell you that they're not the caregiver. The caregiver is Jesus, but they're the caregiver, and they're the conduit by which Jesus meets people 
just like you and me who are in times of grief or sorrow or loss or going through a transition. And so if you need more information on that, you're that person who needs a Stephen minister, make sure you stop by Connect. Now, here's the way in which Jesus meets us at moments of sorrow. See, a lot of people, they're nervous by grief. In fact, we don't like to cry we have a culture of strength that promotes strength and individuality such that when somebody cries, it's a quick wipe of the sleeve. It's get yourself together. Don't do this and pull it together, right? But Jesus loves to come close to what other people push away. See, the question that Jesus, after they sat in the home of Lazarus with his sisters, he posed this question. He said this in verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? In other words, what Jesus was saying is, your beloved brother, where is the tomb? Where is the burial site? I want to go there. I want to go there and I want to see it. I want to sit by it. I'm not afraid of it. Jesus isn't afraid or appalled by what you buried, what you lost. In fact, before he demonstrated his authority in John chapter 11, he demonstrates his empathy. He's human. He goes to the burial site. And on the heels of the verse that I just read to you, that's where we get to the shortest verse of scripture. Jesus wept. He wept. So let me ask you, you're online, you're watching today, you're in the room. Where's your greatest loss? What I believe Jesus is asking us as a congregation, where have you laid it? Where's the tomb? Where's the hurt? Maybe it happened five or 10 years ago. Maybe it's something you never told somebody. And you grieve and it's there. For some of you, you press it down and you don't want it to come up because you're afraid of it. Because if it did, you're not sure what you would do with it. Well, what is the pain? What is the thing that died? I believe what Jesus wants to do in this moment is to be that person, just like he met Martha all those years ago, he wants to meet you today in your row, in your seat. You're watching online, he wants to meet you in your room, wherever you are. And he wants to come and he wants, listen, he wants to cry with you. We love the miracle working Jesus of John chapter 11, but we miss the compassionate Jesus who weeps with us. If you would bow your heads and your hearts in this moment, I believe that Jesus wants to come and just wants to grieve with you. Go to that place, go to the burial site, go to the tomb, your greatest loss. Maybe it's a memory of Vietnam and you just can't get it out. You saw someone die. Maybe it's that divorce that ended and you know it was your fault. 
Maybe you're a young couple and you're battling infertility and the grief just stacks up, it stacks up, it stacks up. Maybe it's the regret of somebody, it just, you knew you were supposed to talk to them about Jesus and then you found out later on that they died. So much sorrow and guilt around that. And in this moment, know that Jesus is just making his way to your row. He's seated next to you. He's putting his arms, his arm around you in this moment. You're watching online in your room, he's there. Picture in your mind, can you hear him crying? Can you hear him crying emotional tears in response to your pain? In response to your grief, he's with you. He gets you. He's crying. He's right next to you. He loves you. Now he's whispering in your ear. He's saying, it's okay. It's okay. You can cry. You can let it out. He's not afraid of your grief. He's not going to shame you, guilt you, reprimand you. He's simply there with you and he's crying. Jesus, I'm asking that you would grieve, just cry with them. My friends here today, let them see and sense your tears, the compassionate Savior that you are. You're close to their broken heart. You see their loss. Just sit there and be with them in the hurt and the pain. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, friends, what happens oftentimes to us in life is that we go through life and we lose a lot of things. The temptation for us is to identify ourselves with the losses that have occurred in our life. We begin to label our lives according to our losses. And when we do that, we limit the potential, we limit the future, we limit the hope, we limit the life that God has for us. Obviously, we all grieve and we all go through sorrow, but, but that doesn't have to be a limiting factor for us. Because what inspires me is that at the worst possible moment, Jesus was about to give the greatest possible opportunity for his power to be revealed. At the worst possible moment, after he had wept at the tomb, he declares and he says to Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? And he says, whoever lives by believing me will never die. And they're like, Jesus, clearly he's dead. In fact, the text tells us, like, he stinks. It's over. It's four days in Jewish custom. This means that he'd be completely dead. They believed after a certain time period that the soul would actually depart from the human being. And so Jesus is like, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. He cries with them, he leads them in this moment, and then he demonstrates his authority. Because in verse 43, he calls out in a loud voice and he says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. 
Now, they didn't see anything initially. They heard something. They heard the voice of Jesus, but they didn't see anything. But because they were choosing to walk by faith and not by, by sight, something got stirred up inside of Mary and Martha. The authority of Jesus to look at that tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Lazarus, I want to do resurrection power inside of your life. Lazarus, something was changing. Something was in the air. God was on the move. He was about to do something. He wanted to resurrect his best friend. He wanted to show all the world of his power and his authority. He wanted to show you and me that just because we grieve and we lose things, it doesn't have to be the end of things. That what we lose and what we grieve, those things that we bury, Jesus can resurrect. It's not like I don't think about my brother any longer, but the thoughts that I think about him now are used for the good of my own shaping and for my family's story. They become a signpost, a, a lesson for me to have the compassion and the dignity for those who struggle with addiction, whether it's opioids or cocaine or crack or alcoholism. It gives me a frame of reference to say, I'm compassionate, I understand, I am with you. It informs my preaching and my friendships and my love and my care because what the enemy meant for harm with my brother, God will use it for the good. That's the power of Jesus. But if we get trapped in constantly just grieving and we forget that the second half of the story is about resurrection, not resuscitation, not, oh, he wasn't really dead. No, 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 he was dead, friends. And what is in your life that is dead? Maybe it needed to die in order for you to focus on the father because he wants to bring new life out of something that's dead. Maybe, maybe, maybe the power and the hope of what Jesus wants to offer to you, that there is resurrection. And there's resurrection for all of us. And we're gonna see a picture of that in baptism at the end of service. The reason the resurrection is real is because when God came down and he shook heaven and earth on that early on that Sunday morning, Jesus came out of the tomb and he declared, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And here's what's glorious about that. One day, my friends, one day, one day, <laughs> one day, I can't wait. One day, do you know what he's gonna do with our tears? Not only does he see them, not only does he care for them, but one day, one day he says, I will wipe them away. I will wipe your tears away. Listen to what John the Revelator saw, this vision in glory in heaven. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, how many tears? Every tear. He will do what? He will wipe away every tear. Every tear he will wipe away. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day that I will be reunited with my brother. No more pain, no more addiction, no more tears. You beat me there, you dirty dog. 
I was the preacher and you were the addict and you got to heaven first. What will the conversations be like? I don't know what they'll be like, but you'll get to meet my brother. You, you, you'll get to all those sorrows and those griefs. Listen, friends, those are just preparing you for an eternal glory that far outweighs everything we endure in this life. It really does. So with that being said, would you bow with me for a word of closing prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your good grace in this place. I'm so grateful that you are a friend. As we sang earlier in service, what a friend we have in Jesus. As that last verse says, soon in glory, bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Why? Rapture praise and endless worship will be our sweet portion there in your presence. And so God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Now maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He's not leading your life. Like you know about him or yeah, but you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. If you're online today and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, would you just type in the chat, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you just, would you go ahead and, and let somebody know, somebody who you're watching with or if you wanna call the church office, you can call us. You can email us, info at pathwayschurch.us. If you're in the room though today and you wanna make a decision for Jesus Christ, what does that mean? That means you repent of your sin, you let go, you confess. And you say, Jesus, I, I wanna follow you. I'm, I'm transferring my trust from whatever you've been trusting in, yourself, your influence, your beauty, your, your money. I don't know what it is. And you say, Jesus, I'm trusting, I'm trusting in you. You're gonna lead my life now. If you're in the room today and you wanna make that decision for Jesus Christ, because you know that you're dead inside, you know that you have no relationship and connection with God, and you need that, you desire that. If that's you today, you wanna make a decision for Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand in this moment? I wanna acknowledge you, and then you can put it right back down. Yep, I see you right over there. Yes, I see you over there. I see you over there. Yep, yep, I see you guys. You can put them down. Anybody else? Can we go ahead and pray together as a church family? Let's pray in one voice out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Sending your son to die for me. Forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I repent. Now come into my life. Bring me into your family that I might know you, grow in you, and follow you. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate individuals today online, those in the room that are making decisions for Jesus. Praise God. Praise God.